Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Annie Lawless, the founder and CEO of Lawless Beauty. Welcome, Annie. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. So Annie, talk to us a little bit about your road to Lawless Beauty, because I think that not a lot of people out there know about you in the way that they probably should. Yeah, so um, beauty was not my first kind of foray into business or something that I thought I was going to end up doing. Um, I really started out in the health and wellness space. So my first project was Suja Juice. Um, That was launched in 2012, I believe, um, just as a local home delivery service. And it really was stemmed out of my passion and my partner's mutual passion for health and wellness and creating easily accessible products, um, organic juice that you didn't have to go to like a juice shop to get. It was available at Whole Foods, but still retained a lot of the nutrition that raw juices do. And um, that was sort of my passion because as a child, I had celiac disease. And this was before there was a lot of information about celiac, gluten intolerance, and there weren't even a lot of gluten-free products on the market. So health and wellness have been kind of a lifelong overarching passion of mine. And after Suja, I knew I really wanted to take that passion for health and wellness into another category of my life. And throughout, you know, the early part of my 20s, I had a fashion and beauty blog, and it was a hobby. It was called Blonde, and I would just post a lot of beauty tips, what I was wearing, makeup looks. I had a YouTube channel, and I realized there was this disconnect between all of the products that I was using on a daily basis and sort of my beliefs of consumption and what I'm putting in my body on my skin and consuming every day. So about three years before launching Lawless, I switched over to clean skincare. Um, I had been reading a lot of the ingredient information and the things that we absorb through our skin. Sephora was doing a big push on clean skincare, and a lot of clean skincare brands were popping up. So when I did some research and completely transitioned to clean skincare, it kind of got me thinking about ingredients as a whole, and it seemed so crazy to me that I was spending more on clean skincare and then putting those ingredients right back on my face five minutes later with my makeup. And that really was kind of like the light bulb moment for me that I wanted to really do something in beauty. When I was looking at a lot of the clean makeup out there and bought a ton of it to try to transition over to clean, As a makeup girl who loves full coverage and wears a full face of makeup every day, I just couldn't find clean products on the market that performed the way that a lot of the conventional makeup I was used to using did. And so that was when I knew there was kind of this white space in the market for high performance, full coverage, clean uh, for the true makeup girl, not kind of the five minute natural look. So talk about that a little bit, because from the trend perspective, you know, natural makeup or clean makeup was really kind of um, granola packaging found in Whole Foods. It really wasn't supposed to be this performance packed, long lasting, um, having a lot of color or vibrance. So it almost seems like they were two different consumers or people were thinking about them that way. How did you know that maybe this could be one consumer? Because I'm that consumer and, you know, I don't want to compromise just because I am really conscious of what I put in my body and what I consume and I eat healthy doesn't mean that, you know, I want makeup with recycled paper packaging that, you know, is a sheer wash of color for my lips, cheeks and eyes. Um, You know, I love a beautiful lipstick. I love pulling out, you know, a Tom Ford's type of packaging from my purse. It's an experience. It makes me feel good. And so I realized, you know, 
the mainstream woman is not all or nothing. She she cares what she consumes, but we also want to live our lives and we want to have beautiful products. And, you know, if you've been using NARS and Bobbi Brown and Estee Lauder for years, it's very difficult to transition over to, you know, some of the sheer, really underpigmented, clean makeup for the no makeup makeup look. Um, there is a space for the woman that cares what she consumes, but she also doesn't want to compromise. She wants things to feel the same way as a lot of the conventional products she's used to using. And so I realized in order to get her to switch over to clean, there can't be this huge disparity between the quality and performance of clean makeup. Um, You know, if she walks into Sephora, she's going to buy what she trusts. She's going to buy the thing that lasts throughout the day that she can wear on a night out for an important occasion. And she doesn't care if it's clean at that point because she just wants it to work. And so clean makeup has to work in order to get that mainstream customer. How much do you think your blog um, and your YouTube channel informed this? Because you were seeing all the looks that people were doing and high contour and, and color and so much. It was almost like high def that you had to be on camera and and present this look. How much of that informed like that white space and informed your business? Yeah, well, in two ways. One huge way was obviously just the big... YouTube boom of beauty that's happened in the last five years or so. The beauty vloggers, the tutorials, um, that really showed me that there's this huge younger demographic of people that love baking. They love learning how to do, you know, a multi-shadow eye look with blending and foils and glitter and pigment. And there is that really, you know, deep beauty culture of artistry that does exist out there, especially with this younger demographic, because it's become very DIY. You can learn to do your makeup at home now. Um, So there was that. And then also being kind of on the, I guess you'd say, influencer side, having a beauty blog and YouTube channel really gave me access to my audience to understand what they were looking for and what they wanted. And when I would see questions all the time, I realized I have this audience that followed me from the time of Suja. So they were super conscious of what they consume, their health and wellness oriented, but they also love beauty. And so they would ask me, you know, do you have any clean makeup that you like? And, you know, do, does it ever worry you about talk, you know, when the Johnson & Johnson lawsuits came out and I was baking? So I realized they're asking me these questions because they're curious, too. They're looking for these products as well. It's not just me. And so that was really insightful to kind of understand the right products to launch that first year and what was most critical um, that she was looking to swap out in her makeup bag. So what were those first products? Well, I think one of the biggest ones, like I just touched on, was our translucent powder because I think talk got so much buzz and it was one of the first wake-up calls I think for people that may not even remotely be interested in clean makeup because it was you know such a public case and everybody uses baby powder everybody uses face powder at some point in their lives it's such a household product so I think that really scared people um but they were putting on asbestos every right, single day every single day and inhaling you know if you use a loose powder it flies up in the air and you know you're inhaling a little bit of it so I think that was a really important one for me. Um, also, the foundation. I think that you know it's one of the only silicone-free foundations on the market. No isodotecane, no parabens, no synthetic fragrance. And I think that's so tied to skincare because your foundation touches your skin so closely. Um, and I think a lot of people that were switching to clean skincare were really looking for a foundation that had a lot of those skincare benefits and clean ingredients. And then liquid lipstick. That was my very first launch. And I think that was really. I noticed you know a lot of people worry about how much lipstick they swallow. 
Um, you know, we've all put lipstick on and then an hour later it's off. Where did it go? I mean, we ate it essentially. (laughs) So I think that was really important to me because I was realizing, wow, throughout the day and throughout the year and throughout my life, how much of these parabens and synthetic fragrances and aluminum and chemicals are, am I literally ingesting by eating them? So I think that those were kind of the first ones I had my eye on because they were just the most clearly linked to consumption and absorption in my mind. What was the what was the response from your community and then obviously from retailers? Oh, people were so excited. I remember when I the day that I announced I was launching my brand on my blog, I and I hadn't disclosed what product, and you know, I just said it's coming. It's going to be clean beauty. Uh, I remember the response was so overwhelming because I think that people were just waiting for something like this. And then from retailers, you know, when I launched in October 2017, I was really planning to be direct to consumer. Um, and then before I even launched, uh, Neiman Marcus reached out, and that was my first retailer. Um, and I launched there pretty much right around the time I launched on my website. And then a couple of months later, um, Sephora reached out and I met with them and then I launched with them in March 2018. So I think that it was a really good indication that it was it's time. Clean color is happening. It's coming and retailers know it. They're hearing the demand of the consumer. They're seeing, you know, skincare and even hair really excel in the clean space. And so I think that it's just the natural evolution of clean that it's going to permeate all of our beauty products. Why do you think it's taken so long for customers to understand the disconnect between using clean skincare and then using traditional makeup that can't claim it has clean ingredients? I think it's because it's so hard to formulate um, high-performance, effective, clean makeup, so nobody's really doing it, and it hasn't made the consumer think about it. You know, she started thinking about clean skincare because brands were launching clean skincare, and it was in her periphery. It's right in front of her. She's walking into Sephora. They're doing all these activations and animations highlighting clean skincare. Nobody's really focused on clean color because it's hard to do. You know, it takes longer to formulate. There's a reason that clean color hasn't been as efficacious as normal conventional makeup um, to get the pigmentation without, you know, using really harsh chemical colorants, to get the long wearing effect without using a lot of the silicones and isodotacanes and, you know, things that have that adherence to them, getting the payoff, you know, without using, even in shimmers, you know, without using aluminum and all these things, it's really difficult. And so I think that um, the fact that no color brand really has focused on it because they just haven't wanted to go there because it's a huge undertaking. Um, the consumer hasn't been exposed to it. And so I think, you know, she wasn't really thinking about it really up until the last couple years. But it's obviously changed. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about how Sephora really played into that. Because, you know, I hear constantly about how well you're doing there, how you're outperforming Thank you. in stores and, you know, really driving that conversation in stores and thinking about, okay, well, instead of buying NARS, instead of buying Tom Ford, I could buy Lawless and it's the same kind of quality, same kind of performance. So how has Sephora's stamp of approval allowed you to compete more aggressively with classic brands? Yeah, so I will say for me, Sephora's been a dream partner because we're just so aligned. They're... um, when they rolled out the clean seal and their whole initiative and what they are trying to do to educate the consumer on clean was such perfect timing for the launch of my brand. And what I'm really trying to do is exactly what they're trying to do, which is, you know, 
make clean for everybody. There is still, you know, conventional products that I use. For example, I don't make a brow product yet, so I still use my Anastasia Brow Is. You know, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And so I think that what they're so good at is providing an assortment that gives the customer choice. And I think that they've really opened up the choice of clean color um, better than any retailer and before any other retailer because they have presented it in a way that is digestible, it's accessible, they educate, and they make the clean seal so easy to navigate the shopping experience and understand what products are clean and what that means. So they've defined it with the seal that indicates what ingredients are left out. So I feel like they educate that way in such a really powerful, manner because it's easy. Um, And so for me, you know, launching with them, I I wasn't even really ready to go into retail, but it just was the perfect storm because they were doing clean. Um, And the seal launched, I think, in June. I launched in April with them, so right shortly after. So it's just been awesome because the education that they give the consumer on clean and, you know, our brand has been invaluable. How has... um the slow and measured rollout of Sephora stores impacted your business? Because I know, you know, many indie brands, you know, Sephora calls or an Ulta calls or big retailer calls, and they're like, go into 400 stores or go into 1,200 stores. And they're just like, okay, I'm doing it, but may not have the um, pipeline Mm -hmm. or structure in place to facilitate that. And it becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. You were very careful about how many doors you went into at first and rolling that up. Will you explain that a little bit? Yeah, and even though I've been careful and a little bit more deliberate and slower, I've still had so many F-ups. It's just tough when you go from doing your own little operation with your own little warehouse into a big retailer like Sephora. It's a huge learning curve. And so knowing that, you know, we've been, we started with 50 doors um, and then we're kind of cherry picking the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, because I want to be productive in the doors I'm in than be in tons of doors and not as productive. I really want to make those doors work and give myself the time to learn and get my bearings and build out the team and build out the supply chain and build out the inventory. Um, I've definitely had moments where projections have been a little under and I've sold out or I've, you know, had a packaging issue where I'm delayed on, you know, getting packaging in for six weeks longer than I thought. So there's all these kind of learning curve, unforeseen things. um, And that's why it's really helpful, I think, to launch a little bit more slowly and deliberately because the stores will always be there. um, And I can, I can do it anytime. So really nailing kind of our process behind the scenes and getting those 50 doors to a place where we feel super confident in the way that we service them, the way that we send our salespeople in to educate the beauty advisors and really make those doors effective um, is way more important to me before rolling out into every door. Do you ever worry now that clean color is becoming, you know, more mainstream that other brands or other lines out there that kind of offer a similar positioning might get there first? You know, we just talked about a second ago, before we started taping, just about the amount of investment that's come mm-hmm. into the clean color space. After you announced your um, your stake in December, you know, two other clean brands are fast on your heels. Do you think about that? I do, but I actually see it as such a positive because I think the category needs to grow. And the bigger the category is and the more exposure the category gets, it really only benefits all of us in the category. And I also feel like um, you know, we're a really founder-facing brand, so I'm super involved. I'm, I'm. It's my 100% full-time, 24/7 project, and I develop every product. I write all the copy, and I just feel like every brand has their own unique viewpoint. So, yes, we might all be clean brands, but no brand is me, and I'm not another brand. So, 
my viewpoint, the types of products I launch, the naming conventions that I use, the color schemes that I use, you know, the formats, the packaging, that's so unique to me that I just feel like there's space for all of us because we're all kind of taking our own approach to clean. Um, and I, I've always just been a fan of keeping my head down and doing my thing. And I've personally had had so much camaraderie with a lot of the clean founders and brands um, that have been super helpful, given me so much advice. And it really... Um, just makes me excited that the category is growing. How has um, the investment really affected your business and what was the impetus for doing that? Yeah. So the impetus was, you know, I've been doing this myself for two years. And, and a lot of people don't know that, that it's a self-funded company yep. that you and your brother run it. It's, uh-huh. it's a family business. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a total family business, self-funded up until recently. And I think, you know, I was slow to take investment because I really wanted to find the right partner. Um, and I really wanted to do it myself as long as I could to figure out, you know, what where I wanted the brand to go. I wanted to give it its time to take shape before getting too many hands in the pot. So now um, I hit a point where there's a lot of opportunity for growth. The category is expanding. There's a lot that I want to do, a lot that I want to launch, a lot more marketing I want to put behind it. And you need money to do that. So I realized, you know, if the right partner comes along, this is the moment to take this opportunity to really turbocharge things. And when I met uh, Sarah and John from Colt Capital, uh, I knew pretty immediately this is the right partner. They're just incredible. They see the opportunity and clean the same way that I do. We're aligned on our vision for the brand. And just their hunger and excitement to build something amazing um, is so similar to mine. And it just feels like we are like a family. It feels like we're a great team and we talk all day, every day. And it's just a very different feeling than I've had with a lot of investors um, in previous business adventures. So it's been a really awesome thing. And I think it's going to enable the brand to really go to the next level. So when you think about growth and where you think you want, where you think 2020 will go and be, what are what's top of mind for you? I definitely want to expand into new categories um, and launch products that people haven't seen from us and just continue to innovate. I think that there's kind of limitless potential with clean because, yes, every category in beauty and every type of product exists out there. But in clean, it's still so relatively new. There's a lot of products that there's not that hero skew and clean. So um, I think there's a huge opportunity and I really want to spend, you know, 2020 and 2021, um, expanding into new categories and really giving the customer things that she's been looking for and has never been able to find. When you think about product and launches, you know, in beauty, we're so, you know, we're hit all the time with more, more, more. And that's become an issue, obviously, for the color market specifically. You know, there's a softening going on right now, as well as, you know, just the sheer sustainability of it from a production point of view and then from a consumer point of view with packaging. How are you kind of bucking that trend? You know, you, you mentioned new categories a second ago, but it's not like you're doing 30 SKUs of something. It's not no. like you're doing 50 SKUs of something. So how do you how do you supply that surprise and, and excitement, but then also be measured? Yeah, that's a great question because it's always a push and pull between giving newness and keeping up with the pace of the market, but being true to my brand and myself and not just throwing up products that really don't make sense for me. Um, And I think also, you know, just kind of being on the influencer side of things, I get PR from brands and I'm exhausted. You know, before I can appreciate a launch, I'm getting a new box the next week of their next launch. And I think that has contributed to the softening of color because people are exhausted and the, the consumer's fatigued. She doesn't really know where 
where to look anymore. She's got enough makeup. So I think that it really comes down to the things that matter, the things that she wants to buy because it makes a difference in her makeup bag, not just because she needs another shade of highlighter, another blush. You know, what are those things that she really become core for her, I guess, that really become those products that are staples? So I've constantly tried to remind myself that, like, I'm the consumer. What do I use? You know, I'm not wearing blue sparkle eyeshadow every day. I'm wearing a neutral palette. And so staying true to who I am, but also keeping it interesting and exciting and um, doing it in a unique and different way has been important to me. But I'll never be the brand that just launches something to launch it or tries to play into trends and do things just because, you know, five other brands are doing them if it really doesn't feel like a right launch for me or a product that I would ever personally use. Um, and I, I think I've always said... You know, my like makeup idol is Bobbi Brown because when I was in high school, you know, I wore Bobbi Brown. I was so happy when my mom would like, you know, splurge and get me something Bobbi. But my mom wore Bobbi Brown and my grandma wore Bobbi Brown. So I I really felt like she transcended generations and just launched great products. And even when she played with trends or color or, you know, launched kind of a crazier palette, it was always done in a Bobbi way where there was a reason for it. There was like neutrals in the palette to make the pops of color work. There was, you know, a very clear way to make the everyday woman understand the makeup and how to use it. And so that's always been my goal when launching a product is like there's so much going on and so much noise around me and beauty and the launches that are happening. What's true to me? And like how can I still have fun with makeup but make it for the everyday girl, something she's actually going to wear? I think people would be surprised that you mentioned Bobbi Brown a second ago because of her minimal aesthetic. Yeah. And just like, you know, makeup on the go, doing it in the car. I mean, it seems to me that even though this is a luxury product, this is a glam product, there is a minimalistic bent to it all. Makeup should be easy. You know, like that's the, that's the other thing about like pigmentation. My foundation is full coverage, but in my mind, it's it's meant to be easy so that you don't have to go in with five layers. You go in with one pump, put it all over your face, stamp it out with your beauty blender, and you're done. You know, it doesn't need to be this really complicated thing. High, high pigment makeup and full coverage can be so simple. Um, and I think it also goes to like, you know, it doesn't matter how much makeup you put on every day or how much time you have. At the end of the day, you want it to be easy. We all wake up. We've got places to go. I want to look great, but I also don't want to spend 50 minutes in the bathroom every morning. You know, I want to be like 20 minutes and out. So how can I create products that have that impact and payoff that you can go in, they're easy to use, they're accessible, they're approachable, and you can still get the look that you want? Going back to the business side um, Annie, you mentioned a second ago about kind of why you went with the partners that you did, and, and they were private equity partners. Mm-hmm. Is Was that part of, like, knowing your product launch strategy, why you decided to go with private equity versus VC capital? Um, definitely. Definitely. I, I kind of knew going in I was looking for a private equity partner. And then when I met Colt, I realized, you know, we were just so aligned in the way that we saw launches and the cadence and the types of launches and the timing. Um, and so I think that that is a huge benefit to going with private equity for me. And I'm really excited for everything that we have coming together. How much of that do you think was informed by your past business? You know, obviously, we're seeing right now in beauty and in other categories like these sky-high valuations. Mm-hmm. You may maybe know real payout for the founder by the end of it, by so many rounds, like with, with VC money. I mean, how much of your past entrepreneurial um, – your, your past entrepreneurship informed this one? Yeah, well, this is – 
I mean, it's two completely different situations, but I think that this is so highly personal to me that maintaining control, um, not only through ownership and still maintaining, you know, my equity, um, but being partnered with somebody that's super aligned in my vision um, is so important because the brand integrity is irreplaceable. And once you dilute that down and, you know, you start to kind of push the founder out a little bit or, you know, get other people in leadership that don't have the same vision, it really ruins the brand. Um, And so I think that keeping the heart and soul of the brand has been the overarching, you know, goal for me and the thing that's the most, most important, which is why finding the the right partner was the, you know, biggest priority for me when I went out to look for capital because I just think that that's the fastest way to ruin a brand when you have something good is to take the wrong partner and then, you know, lose your control and lose the brand. Some brands in beauty and personal care and wellness are kind of um, doing the exact opposite of what you're talking about. They are priming themselves to be acquired by an Estee Lauder or a uh, Procter & Gamble or a Shiseido. Tell me a little bit about playing that kind of that side of it, the opposite side. Like it seems to me you have like a longer term view. I do for sure. Um, Obviously, you know, acquisition is in the back of everyone's mind when they launch a business because, you know, you want to grow your business in a healthy way that sets you up for the future should you want to go that route. Um, But for me, that has never been a focus because I think when you start thinking that way and that's your motivation and then you're acting to that goal versus really, you know, keeping your eye on the brand and what really create something unique and different and focusing on the customer, I think that all just falls into place. Once you focus on that, you will be acquired someday because you've built something incredible and it's attractive when you go out to market. Um, And I think that approaching it with the goal of being acquired from the beginning is just sort of um, kind of the wrong thing to focus on. And it kind of gets in your own way um, as you're building the brand because you've got the wrong thing um, as your focus. And you lose sight of kind of how to build something special because you're just trying to build something to sell. How do you think that that's going to inform the hires that you want to make this year? Because I know that part of the private equity money was to really grow that team and grow your inner circle. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, we're looking for a president right now. And that's been one of the most kind of fun things to define is who am I looking for? Because, you know, I'm... I'm not looking for like this super seasoned president that's been in beauty forever, that's, you know, been a president before. I'm actually looking for someone that's a little bit more entrepreneurial and hungry because they want to learn and like build something. I want them to be in this for like the journey because I think that 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 kind of gives them this cleanest new category within beauty, essentially, in, in color. And it can't be approached the way that traditional beauty companies have, traditional color companies have. It really needs to be approached in an innovative, entrepreneurial way. So I'm kind of looking for someone, even maybe a first-time president, that doesn't have that like acquisition goal in mind with a set protocol and you know a cookie-cutter approach to the brand, but something really different where, you know, they they want to build this and they they kind of want to roll their sleeves up and be in the trenches and be part of the journey and the process, not just the end goal. How else 
do you think that you need to grow your team? Because I know you have one salesperson in, on the West Coast, one salesperson in the we East. We have two now on the East Coast. Uh, okay. <laughs> two now on the East Coast. But it seems like, you know, for a brand your size that's approaching $10 million this year, you know, people really think that you were staffed in a way mm-hmm. that you're not. Yep. So what else are you thinking about? Yeah, so I think some of the biggest ones, you know, I really would love a VP of marketing. I think that someone to oversee that and kind of build out the team under them would be incredible and really help the brand educate. Educate um, and expose the consumer to what, who we are, what we do, and why we do it. Um, and then, you know, obviously a VP of sales to manage the sales team and really build out the field team and, you know, have feet on the ground all over the country so we can really service those Sephora doors that we're in. Um, and I'd also really love, you know, kind of even intern maybe, but sort of a digital kind of person that really wants to approach our digital uh, marketing and our digital presence in an innovative, different way, um, and social content. I think that's really important in the education side of the brand and really telling our story and sharing ingredient knowledge and benefits and, you know, what our products do, how to use them, and giving her a peek into the brand that she doesn't see from just a product on the shelf. How do you feel about all of that? Because, you know, coming from having an influencer kind of like background, you know, the the drive for content is incessant. You know, mm-hmm. everybody wants more, more, more. You need to be producing, producing, producing. And that seems to be totally the opposite approach that you're doing with products. So kind of being able to talk about it on social, on digital, in via marketing, like what's important to think about right now and to prioritize? Is it rising customer acquisition costs or is it like just making YouTube content? Yeah, I think for me... Um, It's really the show and tell. I think the biggest thing is, especially in beauty, you know, is motion, video, really um, demonstrating in tutorials, you know, how each product's used, different ways to apply it, different ways to use it. And I think that leads to sales because once somebody sees how to use a product and they see the payoff and they see a clear way that they can apply it in their life, they want it. And that's one thing for me um, because we are in such a like teach yourself culture with beauty that um, I want to really ramp up for the brand is like video tutorials. And I think having a president will be amazing because I'll get some of my time back um, to create a lot of that content that I used to have so much more time to create on video um, and just tell the story of why I created each product, even with the naming. There's a reason I name every product when I name it. Um, you know, there's a reason I have certain ingredients that I left out and I can explain what they do and why I don't like them. Um, there's a reason I include certain ingredients because they have great benefits. So being able to spend a little bit more of my time on that, mostly through video, I think is going to be a really cool thing that we can do for our content to really um, get that customer to relate to each product and understand how to apply it. What do you think is going to happen now with the craze of influencers, you know, and the reliance um, beauty brands have on influencers for content and in even for video. I mean, I know that you don't pay influencers and I know that mm-hmm. you don't have to, but, you know, so many other brands do uh, and use them as a marketing lever. What's your prediction on that? That's a good question because I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if the influencer bubble is going to burst, but I do think it's going to change drastically. Um, I know one thing for me that I really love and I've been getting so into is like the micro-influencer world and seeing a lot of these smaller YouTubers and Instagram, you know, tutorials. Um, there's a lot more effort behind them. There's a lot more engagement with their audience and there's a lot more passion behind the content that they put out because it's not so saturated, um, which I think is really cool. And I think that, you know, 
we're all influencers on a daily basis, whether you have a huge platform or you're influencing your friends, your mom, your sister. But, you know, we are women. We sit and talk to each other. We get advice all day long. And so I think kind of tapping into that, you know, I'm calling a little bit more for the everyday girl. You know, you don't need to have two million followers and I don't want to write a big check for a two second placement in a video. I really want to find the girls that are passionate about clean and you know, I love seeing them use my products. And so whether that's through gifting or whether most of the girls that I find just through searching, I just searched our tags and they've bought the product and they try it. And so for me, you know, reposting that UGC and giving them some love back and really using their content to show our audience a variety of different people that use our products, I think is a really um, powerful way to leverage influencers because, that's how we get influenced is through our everyday experiences and interactions with friends, family, and people that we come across. Last question for you, Annie. You know, now that clean is here to stay and obviously clean color is here to stay, how have you seen traditional brands, um, the Tom Fords, the NARS, the Bobby brands of the world really respond? Because clean is no longer just, you know, 1% of the market. It mm-hmm. might be 20 to 30% of the market. You know, I think that some are responding and some are a little bit slower. I think that everyone's going to be, you know, going for a more sustainable approach, um, whether it's through their ingredients or packaging. I know a lot of brands are growing cruelty-free. Um, I know a lot of brands are coming out with little sublines with, you know, cleaner ingredients. Um and at the end of the day, I do think there's a place for everyone. You know, some some brands will prevail whether or not they're clean because they're such staples in, you know, beauty and they have their following and their audience. And I think that's great. And I think that, you know, the innovation that happens in conventional um, inspires a lot that happens in clean. I do think, though, that it will be really interesting to see how some of these conventional brands find a way to fit clean, you know, in their portfolio without cannibalizing their existing product assortment um, and whether or not it's a full transition or a subline or a few products or, or acquisition. Yeah, or acquisition of, you know, smaller clean brands. I think that's going to be a huge focus. Perfect. Thank you so much, Annie. It was great having you. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe. See you next week.